He had not been a donor to the university. And I got to know him. He had been a mailman all his life, retired postal worker on a route. And um, we got him acquainted with his old history department. Uh, now the folks who had, people who had taught there were retired, but he came, walked around, you know, saw some of the old classrooms that he used to go to. You know, you get talking about their professors and rekindling their love of the institution. And um, he left us $750,000 in an IRA. Welcome to the Responsive Nonprofit Podcast, brought to you by Virtuous. Responsive nonprofits are the organizations leading with innovation to grow giving and impact. Join us each week in spirited conversation with the leading voices across philanthropy, fundraising, and nonprofit technology. Subscribe on your favorite stations or visit us at virtuous.org backslash podcast. All right, welcome back. This week, I am really excited to introduce to our listeners a new friend, Tony Martinetti. This is cool. He's got over 22 years experience in the plan giving space, helping nonprofits raise more money to do more good. The overwhelming stat, the huge one that I saw on his website is he's raised over $100 million, which that's a huge feat. I don't know how many people that can say that personally and helped organizations raise that. And so, Tony, Brian and I, we are just excited to have you on the show. Let's kick it off there. I, I Well, actually, before we go there, I also learned yesterday, we had a little pre-call that he's a little bit of a wise guy. He's got a comedian background, uh, lawyer as well, which doesn't sound like one once you get talking to him. So I'm, I'm very fascinated. I think it's going to be a fun, entertaining conversation for us. So Tony, welcome. Thank you very much, Rob. Brian, thanks very much for hosting. It's a pleasure. Pleasure to be with the uh, responsive nonprofit listeners. That's so great. I'm excited to dig in. Can you start by just giving us some background on yourself, just a little more context beyond being a wise guy? I'd love to know more more <laughs> of what's been going on for the past 22 years as you've been working alongside nonprofits and helping them out. Can you tell us more okay. about that? Okay. We're about 90 seconds into this thing. You already called me a wise guy twice. I know. So, <laughs> I can't help myself. <laughs> you didn't even say funny guys and wise guy. <laughs> funny is synonymous with wise in my world. I don't know where we're headed. All right. Wise guys. On Sage. this episode of Response of Nonprofits for Goodfellas. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> okay. It's been a pleasure being with you and I want to thank you very much. <laughs> Look forward to the next episode. Uh, yeah. No. Why? Sage. Sage guy. A wise, a wise sage right, mentor. Of course. Yeah, I got into planned giving fundraising because I hated practicing law. I found it to be a very unpleasant way to make a lot of money. And I spent about, well, it was either looking back, it was two short years, but in the time, it was very two very long years practicing law. And then I uh, converted to a much happier life in planned giving fundraising. And I was a director of planned giving at to colleges around New York City, where I uh, launched the planned giving programs. And that's what I've been doing since then, working with small and mid-sized shops to launch planned giving, to democratize planned giving. It's not only for big nonprofits, hospitals and colleges, no way. And it's not only for major donors. So I want to uh, bring planned giving to the masses. Yeah. And Brian, I want to turn it over to you for here in a second. But one of the things that I got too excited and didn't share with all of our <laughs> listeners that um, really today in today's episode, we want to talk through the idea of demystifying the idea of planned giving. Let's put some definitions around that. Let's talk about the value of it. And then how do we get started? How do we do it? I think, you know, Tony has a wealth of knowledge in this area. 
And um, I'd love to hear some illustrations, success stories and whatnot. And I know you've got an accelerator program as well that you're running for nonprofits around the country. So yeah, I'll kick it over to you, Brian. Love to get your insight <laughs> just as we begin to pull some stuff out of, of Tony and all of his experience. Yeah, that sounds great. I mean, we and across our listeners, we've got nonprofits of all shapes and sizes of stages of growth across all different types of mission areas. And so let's just do a quick level set from your perspective, Tony, and your years of experience. You know, how do you define planned giving and what value does it bring to any nonprofit? Planned giving is long-term giving to nonprofits. And the simplest example is a gift in someone's will. And you can see how that's long-term because we all hope to live to our 80s and 90s and maybe even beyond, right? So even if a 60-year-old puts you in their will, hopefully they're going to live another 20, 25, 30 years and maybe more. So you can see it's not revenue that's going to fund the five-year capital plan or the salary budget for the fiscal year or something like that. It's all long-term. The benefits are it goes to your sustainability. I know folks, especially in smaller and mid-sized shops, I know they're pulled in a hundred different directions. Some of them trying to keep the lights on and the salaries paid. I hope that they can carve out some time to look long-term so that they're thinking about and planning for the, the sustainability of their work mm -hmm. and their mission and their values. So it, it goes to your long-term growth, preservation, and also endowment, you know, that savings account that uh, typically we only spend the income from, or maybe not even all the income. Even if smaller and uh, middle-sized shops have no endowment, you know, you have to start somewhere. And giving is an ideal way to think long-term, prepare for the long-term, and build that endowment to help you through bad times. That's helpful context. Even as I broaden the scope, I want to weave the responsive fundraising thread through this conversation. And if I were to put myself back in my former life in the shoes of the former fundraiser that I was, I know that I've talked at length on this show about my own philosophy personally around fundraising. And as a fundraiser, most of the work that I did over time, I started to realize that only about half of it was actually in correlation with the missions and the causes that I was working on behalf, I started to quickly learn and realize that the true power of the impact that I was able to make was helping a donor or helping another person actualize their legacy and see their legacy for themselves fulfilled. And so when I think about planned giving, I'm also thinking about this through the lens of this is a long-term holistic way in which someone can view the legacy and impact of their life coming to fruition over the course of a journey that you hope a donor will have with you over many, many years. We're so, you know, right, we're caught up in donor retention and how do we keep donors with us and how do we engage our volunteers? Well, if we really want to look at the scope of the donor journey, we should also be talking about planned giving if we want to think about holistic, responsive fundraising. You're um, so right, Brian. That conversation about a planned gift, a simple gift in someone's will, which, by the way, if I'm talking to a donor, I wouldn't say consider a planned gift. You know, mm -hmm. I'm, that's insider. We're all fundraisers here, so it's fine. But for a donor, you know, I would just, would you consider including us in your will? And that conversation, Brian, becomes a, a part of the holistic lifespan of a donor. It becomes a natural extension of the giving that mm -hmm. they're doing. When Ooh. you're talking to the right planned giving prospects, and those folks are 
your long-term committed donors. Long-term for you might be 10 years. So if you've got people giving, who have given 10 gifts, or maybe, you know, you might even see 12, 15 gifts over 10 years. For some of the listeners, it might be 30 years, might be a long-term donor. You could see 40, 50 gifts over 30 years. I mean, I've seen that. And these gifts don't have to be big. We could be talking about average gift size, 10 or $15. And I'm not exaggerating to make a point. If you've got someone who's been giving for 30 years and they've made 40, 45 gifts and their average gift size is $10, they are always planning for you. Mm-hmm. They are an ideal prospect for a planned gift. And to your point, Brian, when you're talking to folks like that, it just becomes a natural extension of the, the giving that they've been doing for all those years. That's beautiful. And that's encouraging. And I think, you know, you're kind of speaking to, I think, maybe some of the myths that maybe create inertia that feels hard to overcome, especially for the smaller mid-sized shops, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be for your exclusively for your major gift donors. It doesn't have to be exclusively for extremely wealthy prospects. What are some of the other misconceptions that folks have around plan giving? I'd love to kind of break those apart. Okay, big one, that we need expertise. We have to have a lawyer on our board or on our staff or as a consultant. I may be the only lawyer who will tell you, you don't need a lawyer. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> not required. Maybe not even helpful. I, not <laughs> Certainly not required. Because we're talking to people about the simplest planned gift and importantly, the most popular planned gift. By far, gifts in wills are the most popular. You name any planned giving program, I don't care how mature it is. University of Texas, Harvard University, uh, University of California system. Look at their plan giving program. I assure you, at least 75% of their planned gifts are simple gifts by will. And the other percent, you know, and I've seen it as high as 90%, simple gifts by will. So these are the most popular planned gift. And when you're talking to people about this simple kind of gift, you don't need expertise. No lawyer required. So let's debunk that hateful, hateful myth. Can I throw one more out? Please do. That planned giving will hurt our other fundraising. No, Hmm. no. It actually can't be any more different because it will help your other fundraising. I've got two sources of confirmation for that. First is my own. I got 26 years. This is my 26th year. You cut me a little short there, Rob, in the beginning. I did. I need to update your website. No, in fairness, (laughs) over 22. There, over. There it is. You were accurate. I've got (laughs) Asterisk 26. It's going in the show notes. We got it. I wasn't going to cut you off. I wasn't going (laughs) to, even though you called me a wise guy in the first 90 seconds. I was not going (laughs) to. I shouldn't pick a fight with a New Yorker. I need to know this. (laughs) End up comedy, New Yorker. Yeah. I wasn't going to cut you short in your intro. I wasn't going to cut you (laughs) off at the legs there. So I've got 26 years of anecdotes that I've seen where folks have told the nonprofit that they are in their will and their other giving, typically annual giving, but could be major giving too, you know, more sporadic, increased. And why do I think that happens? What do we do when we include an organization in our will? If the, uh, the donor is a woman, she's included the nonprofit alongside her husband, her children, her Uh, grandchildren, and maybe even very dear friends, because sometimes dear friends can work their way into our will because they work their way into our hearts. But putting a nonprofit alongside your grandchildren and your children and your spouse, or maybe your partner, uh, that's enormous. 
Mm. So you feel so close. You want to do more. Okay. You might say, well, uh, Tony Martinetti, 26 years of anecdotes, you know, <laughs> all the guys comes with his anecdotes. So he's got no, I mean, this is a data-driven uh, company, a data-driven hosts, you know, a bunch of anecdotes. Dismiss him. Okay, fine. Professor Russell James at Texas Tech University. He studies planned giving quantitatively. Mm. He has the research to show that I think it's 75% of people who have included the nonprofit, a nonprofit in their will, that specific gift, not a planned gift more general, but in the will, increase their other giving to that nonprofit. So you got anecdotes, you got quantitative research from Professor James. We uh, slash at the knees that insidious myth that planned giving is going to hurt your other fundraising. Just not so. Quite the opposite. I think this is not to cut you off, Rob, because I know you're jumping at the bit to get in here. But I think what's also interesting is I myself have never thought about it this way, but planned giving as a communal pathway to impact uh, is not something that I had ever considered before, right? I think one of the myths go into, well, why would we put so much energy into a planned gift? Because it'll be, you know, the final gift from this one person. And we've already seen, you know, no, this is not true. There's broader fibers and fabrics that go into their other relationships, their loved ones, their friends, their community that not only impacts your nonprofit, but increases the impact. So I think for me, that was just kind of a powerful aha that I don't think I'd ever considered it from that perspective before. No, yeah. I, that was it. Plant giving has the ability to be impactful in the short and medium term mm-hmm. with that increased giving as well as, of course, in the long term. Yeah. Right on, Brian. I'll echo both of you. That was an aha for me too. It makes so much sense. Like when you articulate it so clearly, you're like, oh yeah, of course. Why wasn't I doing this when I was leading a nonprofit, you know? Well, I'll tell you, when you spend more than 22 years doing something, (laughs) you you gain insight. You realize that it doesn't have to be as complex as, as you once thought it was, as I once thought it had to be. You know, you don't have to offer all kinds of different gift options. A certain clarity comes around the 22 year mark. So you briefly hit on this at the beginning. What's the profile? You said small and mid-sized nonprofits earlier, or you mentioned them. I'm not sure if that's the exact profile, but I'm leading a nonprofit. I've got X number of donors. What are you looking for? What's going to be the best soil to plant this new idea with that nonprofit for them to be able to execute on this and and be able to institute this into their organization, their fundraising strategies? I say small and mid-sized because that's who I'm always thinking about. Schools like University of Texas system, right? And uh, Harvard and uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering Hospital, you know, these are billion dollar endowments. Of course, plan giving is enormously valuable for them. But I'm always thinking about small and mid-sized shops. Mm-hmm. I want more of those folks to be into planned giving, to be talking to their, their uh, committed loyal donors about a gift in their will. What did you ask me again? Just the persona. What's the oh, right yeah. profile? Who's the best? The Thank company? you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Something else happens around the 26-year mark. (laughs) So I had four relatively good years between 22 and 26, and then it's all downhill. So look, four relatively good years in there. Yes, of course. Thank you. And don't feel you have to cut that out. I don't mind. Um, It's all all staying in. But we're not. (laughs) You know what? I'm a human being. I'm soon to be 61. So these things happen. Yeah, the ideal person you want to be talking to. Committed loyal donors. These folks have been giving many, many years in a lot of cases, for some of your responsive nonprofit listeners, it could very well be for decades. The other thing I look for is typically start talking to folks when they 
are roughly 55 to 60 and over. The reason for that is that's about the age where people start thinking about their long-term plans, their estate plan as a method of giving back to the causes that have been important to them and to their families in their lives. I mean, we should have a will long before we're 55, especially if you have children, because you have your guardianship issues you want to cover in your will. But that's the age where folks start thinking about giving back through their will. So long-term committed, loyal donor, 55 to 60 and over. And for the nonprofit, I like to see at least five years of history because Mm -hmm. let's face it, you know, we're asking folks to be comfortable that the nonprofit is going to outlive them. And in those first five years, of course, there's a lot of passion and zeal and good wishes, but I'd like to see more history just to allay any concerns that your plan giving prospects might have when you're talking to them about the possibility of a gift in their will. You know, they want to know that the organization is going to be there beyond them. One more thing, you know, I don't think it's, again, these are not high thresholds, but I like to see a few full-time employees, not just the founder or the founder and like just one or two maybe employees, because that's a, that's a very small organization. I have a story about a, a very small historical society that only had one employee, but she wasn't the founder and the organization had been around for over 20 years. So, you know, that was one full-time employee and the budget was only about a quarter million dollars. And we did a small mailing to about 175 people. And they got back six replies that said, either I've already included you in my will, or I will do it. Wow. So you're mailing to 175 people, you get six gift commitments. That's pretty good. For a small agency like that, you know, that's outstanding. That's so, good. Wow. So those are some of the thresholds. You know, I like to see more than just a founder. And I like to see that over five years. This episode is brought to you by Virtuous. Donation should be a celebratory moment, not just another transaction. With Virtuous Giving, you can create personalized and frictionless online giving experiences with tools like branded donation pages, smart gift arrays, wealth and social scoring, and integrated payment processing so each donation is meaningful and full of gratitude. Want to learn more? Get a personalized demo today at virtuous.org demo. That's virtuous.org demo. Are there other life milestones? And I'm just kind of thinking out. I'm actually, this is coming from a personal story. So, okay. And this is, a, I'm taking a little off track, this but counseling with Brian. Well, I got married over the holiday and. Oh my um, God. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. So what is this, your, this is your first couple of weeks. First couple of weeks, fresh into it. Congratulations, Brian. Thank, thank you. But we went hiking the week after we got married and we, we did a fairly technical hike and I almost fell off a cliff. And so on the way down, it sparked a conversation where I said, well, we filed the paperwork. On the way down as you were falling? <laughs> yes. You were saying, fill out my will. Life insurance. <laughs> I forgot to sign the life. <laughs> but on the walk down after my near-death experience, I actually, we had a conversation about, we should fill out wills. Like, like we haven't thought about this at all. So that leads, that prompts me due to just the relevance of this in my own life. Are there other life events that might prompt people to have you in their consideration that nonprofits should be aware of that maybe they're not thinking of? Yeah, there are. There are times when folks are more likely to revisit their plans or if they're hopefully they're younger and they're just doing doing their first plan. 
like your situation, Brian, marriage, marriages, births, another happy event, right? A reason to revisit your will. And then on the sadder side, you know, there are divorces and deaths. Those major life events all trigger folks to revisit their plan. And it's a home run if they've got your email in their legal file, uh, legal mailbox, or their long-term mailbox that they keep all that stuff in. Or if it's, you know, if you sent some U.S. mail and they've got a, a legal folder or something, and two years later, they're going to visit their attorney because there's a blessed event, some there's a new grandchild, and they open up that file and they say, you know, these are the orgs I want to include as well. That's a home run because folks are going to pretty much revisit their will on their own timetable. Mm. So you'd like them to have your info top of mind when they do. So that sort of goes to marketing. You know, you want to be consistent, long-term promotion of the idea of including your nonprofit in, in people's wills. Tony, you said something earlier. I mean, you were just talking, but you said that it was a mailer that the nonprofit sent out and got six different returns from those 175. So I think my my preconceived idea was that this is like an in-person conversation with a potential donor, but it doesn't have to be, right? Like this can be like you're doing it through a mailing or through an email, soliciting people to come and, and sign up to do this. It's not just an in-person conversation. Is that correct? Absolutely right. It depends on where they fall in your prospect pool. So for your top prospects, for them, I would recommend face-to-face or you know personal one-on-one, put it, I should say it that way, one-on-one conversation opening and then soliciting when you get to that stage. But for your tier two prospects, the larger prospect pool that, you know, these are the folks that nobody in the organization really has a good relationship with. Nobody can really pick up a phone and schedule a lunch or be confident that they'll take the call. Mm-hmm. So that's the, your broader base, your tier two prospects, I call them. Those folks, digital or uh, or print. Yeah. Okay. And then before we get into like, okay, I'm a nonprofit. How do I get started? Right? Like that's like the next question that's in my mind. Before we go there though, any other illustrations or stories of your over 22 years that you've been doing this with other nonprofits? What You got any standout stories or, or things of like people who were never thinking this way and then you came in, started helping them and then X kind of return or anything like that that you can make up for us right now? There was a make up. What? <laughs> The guy gives me a great He caught interview. it. He caught it. There it is. Unbelievable. Brian, how do you put up with this co-host? The guy cuts off my experience, <laughs> now insults me that I make up stories. No, I'm not insulted. You can't defend me. I'm from New York City. And I've been heckled. I've done stand-up comedy, so you can't defend me. Story from uh, when I was a director of planned giving at a college in Queens, New York. Saint, uh, I could shout it out. It was uh, St. John's University. And a gentleman checked a box to a paper mail that I had sent, you know, just would like more information. And I started the relationship. I don't, I may have written to him or called. I don't remember how it got started, but he had not been a donor to the university. Um, And I got to know him. He had been a mailman all his life, retired postal worker on a route. We got him acquainted with his old history department. Uh, Now the folks who had, people who had taught there were retired, but he came, walked around, you know, saw some of the old classrooms that he used to go to. You know, you get talking about their professors and rekindling their love of the institution. And um, he left us $750,000 in an IRA. Wow. Just you know, by paying attention to him, bringing him back to the organization, to the institution, getting him thinking about how much he loved it, talking about some of his old friends, alumni. I think I did 
put him in touch with some alumni who he, you know, had fallen out of uh, touch with. And yeah, did that mm -hmm. for the university. That's powerful. I mean, talk about when we think about the true art and magic of fundraising around following little nudges and curiosities that lead you to somewhere you don't expect. I mean, that's beautiful stuff. That's incredible. You know, Brian, it's perfect. You just said curiosities. I think what will uh, help folks enormously, and I hope in fundraising generally, not just planned giving, is having a curiosity about people, being genuinely interested, genuinely curious about their lives, their families, their careers, their love of the institution that you work for a genuine curiosity. And that comes through, you know, that comes through in, in your phone calls, in your notes to folks, your conversations with people, just that, you know, sincere curiosity about them. That really, right. I know we I think we talked a little bit about this on our pre-call, but that really ties into the responsive framework, like you were mentioning, right? Like responding, just like Tony said, responding to people in a approachable, curious way with the desire to get to know them better, like you were talking about with the postal worker and connecting those heart threads and the experience and and really the, the real human connection, right? Which then it's kind of what we're talking about, this whole thing yeah. here. You know, and that's exactly it. I love how you were you were weaving that through about with your donors who've been giving already. It's just a natural next step that they would go do this at, at a life-changing situation or looking into the mirror of your own mortality that, wow, this is something I really care about. Yeah, I think it's really beautiful. I'm not saying anything um, hugely, uh, not saying a big wow moment here. I'm kind of just regurgitating what we already said. So, <laughs> but- Well, I didn't want to break it to you, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> Brian is glad you recognize that on your own. <laughs> no, no, I think, no, I think those are important points. You're coming to people as people, hmm. the golden rule. That's what I'm thinking of as I was listening mm. to you, just treating folks the way you'd like to be treated. And in that instance, it, it was very rewarding for the school. So a curiosity about folks. Rob, something else that I thought of as you were talking, you mentioned mortality. And if I can uh, offer up another myth, insidious myth of planned giving that I'd like to slash mm. at the knees, the idea that this is a death conversation. It's not. It's a conversation about life the life of your nonprofit, the mm. sustainability of your mission, your work, your values, how important it is to your community. However you define community, everybody's got a different definition of what their community is that they serve. However you define yours, how important is it to your community that your work continue, that it be here 20 years from now, 30 years from now, and beyond? And what would the community look like if it wasn't, if your work ceased in 20 years, how detrimental would that be to your community? The gift that you're talking to folks about, simple gift in their will, will prevent that future from happening. We don't want that ugly future where your work stops. So it's a conversation about, put it another way, what you and your donors have in common, your mission. You know they love it because they're your long-term committed donors. Those are the, you got to be talking to the right folks about a gift by will. You're talking to your long-term loyal donors. We know you love the work. I hope you do. I hope you love the work that you're fundraising for. That's what you have in common. So we're talking about the life of that work continuing, the sustainability of that work. That's what the conversation is about. And one more uh, just follow-up question here, and then I want to kick it to Brian for our final one in a minute. So 
I'm listening to this. I'm convinced, you know, I'm buying what you're selling. How do I get started? I know it's really simple. I know any nonprofit can do this. I know we don't need a lawyer, but now what, what do I do? I would say carve out an hour a week. If you can spend an hour a week, first thing you do, identify all those loyal committed donors. Like we were talking about in the beginning, query your, your you have the data, just query your CRM for longevity of, of giving. If you do 10 years and you, you have too many, then extend it out to 15 years and you'll have fewer long-term donors. If you still have that sort of embarrassment of riches, like 15 years is still too many people for you to deal with, extend it out even further or increase the number of gifts. If 15 years and 15 gifts yields you too many prospects, you, you can't manage that many plan giving prospects, make it 15 years and 20 gifts, 25 gifts. You know, So work with those variables, get a prospect list that you can manage, Pick out those top folks who have a relationship with somebody in your organization. They're your top prospects. All the rest, they're your tier two. You want to write to them, either, like you said, either uh, email or, or print. And, and carve out an hour a week to start talking to those top prospects. And that's the kind of work that we go into detail in on in the Plan Giving Accelerator. How to do this you know, specifically. Mock conversations and how to write these letters how to open the door you know, more specifically with your top prospects. That's the kind of stuff I get into in the accelerator. Tell the listeners more about that because you have a program established that is provides the framework and tools needed for nonprofits to unleash the power of plan giving. Would love just to hear more formally about the program. Where can people find it? Where can people connect with you? Plan Giving Accelerator is an online course that I teach we uh, meet once a week for an hour. There's that hour that I think an hour a week is ideal. And we meet in a meeting format always. Not, you know, we're on Zoom, but it's not a webinar. You're not putting your questions into a chat box. It's a meeting. And that enables folks to get to know each other. They can talk to each other too, as well as talk to me. And I've found the peer-to-peer -peer learning, it's over the moon What I mm -hmm. from what I expected. Mm -hmm. The way folks open up as they get to know each other because it's a three-month course. So we're meeting together one hour a week for three months. And as folks get to know each other, they start talking about these difficult prospect cases or you know something that a board member pushed back on. And we all help each other. And, and so the peer support is really phenomenal. And you know we walk through the steps of launching planned giving at your small to mid-sized nonprofit. The next class starts in early March. You go for three months, you'll be done by Memorial Day. And all the info is at plannedgivingaccelerator.com. There's liberal discounts there. If you go to the site, you'll see I'm offering 50% off for a while. Depending on when you go, you'll see different levels of discounts for folks who are uh, inclined to you know, launch planned giving at their nonprofit. That's what the accelerator is all about. Beautiful. I love it. We'll make sure to put that link in the show notes. So head on down to the show notes on whatever station you're listening on, and you can get that link to go and sign up today for the Planned Giving Accelerator. And that's again, plannedgivingaccelerator.com to get signed up and spend an hour a week with Tony developing and maturing and learning from others in the program on how yes. you can, you can yeah. accelerate your plan giving. So love that. We'll also include a link to your website, Tony, so that folks can find your consulting work and additional resources as well. Okay. We like to close out every show and it's a question that we put you on the spot on, but we want to know, and we've gotten some wonderful, wonderful, surprising responses 
What does generosity mean to you? Spirit. To me, I think of generosity of spirit, giving to others in seemingly inconsequential ways, but you never know how touched someone is going to be by the smallest gesture. So generosity to me is giving of spirit to others. Well said. I appreciate that. I love the heart behind it as well. Tony, this has been fun. I won't say anything else that's... <laughs> but, uh, I, don't know. I think I think your future in this podcast is tenuous at best. <laughs> no, this has been so fun. I appreciate the conversation and just your wealth of knowledge around the topic. Is it really compelling? If I'm listening to this, I don't know why I'm not having this conversation internally after this talk with my staff and team, because this is definitely something that needs to be happening. It just makes so much sense. And it's it's the full circle of our fundraising strategies and the work that we're doing with our donors. And so I just appreciate and thank you for this time. And um, we'll wrap it there. And hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. I look forward to it. Thanks to both of you. Rob, thank you, especially for being a good sport. <laughs> very gracious. Very gracious. Thank you. And uh, and Brian, thank you as well. It's been a real pleasure. Glad to be with the responsive nonprofit podcast listeners. Thanks to both of you. Beautiful. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, Tony. Catch you soon. And that's a wrap, folks. Thanks for tuning in this week to the Responsive Nonprofit Podcast. We are so grateful for your time. We know how busy you are and consider it a privilege to journey alongside you as you work to make change in our world. We believe in you and would love to hear from you. Projects like this are only as good as the feedback we get, the guests who come on, and all the topics we get to discuss. So if you have an idea, if you know of an impactful guest that must come on the show, or if you want to be a part of the responsive community, check us out over at virtuous.org backslash podcast and join the conversation. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite station. Your mission needs your collective talent and passion. So go forth and lead the charge forward and we'll be here cheering you on. We'll see you next week. Bye.